Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, August the 4th, 2022. It is currently 2.20 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Well, once you start something, you have to complete it, right? Once you begin something, you have to see that all the way to some kind of a dramatic conclusion. You have to, or at least in theory, that's the way it works. If you start it, you have to finish it. That, that's kind of a, a good working theory. If you start something, you have to finish it. Well, we started something, or I should say, I started something, and I'm not giving up until I find a way to finish this, to bring this to some kind of satisfying conclusion. And now I know the reality is I'm not going to be able to bring this to a satisfying conclusion, but I'm not, I'm not going to stop until I feel like I've done everything I can. And I hope some of you, I hope there's at least one or two people out there who's like, that's right. You better finish it. You better bring it to some kind of conclusion because I, I need answers. I, I, I'm confused. I'm frustrated. Give me some answers. I'm hoping someone out there feels that way. I, my fear is that most people have just kind of shrugged their shoulders. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Don't really care. And that really bothers me because we have to care. We have to care because it, it deals with scripture, right? We have a scripture that says one thing and we have a reality that says something completely different and it should bother every single Christian, every single church, every single ministry. Everyone should be bothered by it. We should be bothered by a reality that is problematic. We should, all right? So are you ready to continue? Are you ready? Let's go back to how this all started. It all started early one morning when I reached over, over grabbed my iPad, opened up Pocket Cast, the podcast app, and said, okay, whatever the first Christian podcast I find, I'm just going to hit play. Whatever they talk about, I'm going to dedicate and commit myself to talk about the exact same thing. And I had no idea that once I said that, well, here we would be basically a week later, still talking about it, still struggling with it. But I, I hope that in a roundabout way, my, you may call it a foolish idea, will turn into something very beneficial. I'm hoping. So are you ready? Here we go. Let's go back to how it all started. I grabbed my iPad that faithful morning, right? That, that morning that started everything. Nobody knew what was about to happen, but that morning I grabbed my iPad and I hit play and we all heard this. Would you say that Christians are characterized more by unity or by division? Well, critics would often say division. I mean, by some counts, there are tens of thousands of denominations. How many different Christian churches are there where you live? Well, the town where I live is a fairly small rural community, population about 4,000. And I can count over a dozen Christian churches just in my town. A Wesleyan church, a congregational, Baptist, Nazarene, Catholic, Lutheran, United Methodist, Reformed, Christian Reformed. Alliance, Assembly of God, Independent Bible, a Bible Believers Church, a Vineyard Church, and that's probably not even all of them. Well, for our next two podcasts on Discover the Word, the group's going to be talking about some advice from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans about getting along. Why can't we all just get along? Why can't we all just get along? Do you think Christianity is characterized by unity or division? Do you think Christianity is characterized by unity or disunity? We all know the answer, right? We all know the answer. The, it's, the answer is not what critics say. The answer is based off reality. Christianity is known by its disunity. We don't agree on anything. 
we are divided. So that morning, I had no idea when I reached over and hit play that that was going to begin this long series. I I, I really, I, I was hoping it was just going to be a kind of a fun, interesting discussion, but it's turned into now something that extremely frustrating. And here's what happened, because it always happens, right? We start pursuing a subject, and then I always were like, you know what we'll do? We'll just grab the first random sermon that I can find, and we'll listen to a sermon to give, well, someone else an opportunity to put forth their perspective. And how many times have we witnessed this? We grabbed a sermon that supposedly was going to talk about Christian unity, talk about a very important passage, and when it was all said and done, didn't actually answer anything, didn't even really actually deal with the text, and but somehow they patted themselves on the back thinking that they answered the problem. Even the Discover the Word podcast, hey, what, what do we do about this disunity? And their approach was, hey, just ignore the disunity, just ignore it. And let's look at some random verses in Romans and we'll be like, hey, see, let's let's all try to just get along without really a dealing with the problem. The sermon we, we listened to, their approach was, hey, stop looking at the disunity within the evangelical Protestant world. Catholics are just as disunified. Catholics, look, look at how messed up Catholics are. See, see, don't look at our disunity, look at theirs. I don't know why that was even a, an approach even presented in a sermon, but that was the approach. So what do we do? Well, whenever I get frustrated with everyone else's attempt to not answer the question, when I get frustrated with everyone else's attempt to avoid the issue, I tend to find myself saying, you know what? Let's do our own work. Let's work through at least the relevant passage ourselves and see what we can come up with. So this is what we're going to do today. We're going to work through the the key passage. I'm going to bring up lots of questions. I'm going to put forth a couple of ideas, and then we will see what kind of what that produces, right? Hopefully a good conversation. Hopefully I'll get a lot of good feedback. And then we'll we'll continue the series until we can, we'll just keep going back and working through the same passage over and over and over and over until we can come up with some definitive answers, all right? So I hope this will be beneficial. Now, this is not going to be, this is going to be more me asking questions and presenting ideas than presenting some kind of a dogmatic answer because I don't think there is a dogmatic answer as of right now. But this is through the this is like me taking you through the process of kind of questioning, throwing out some theories, some hypotheses. So throwing some concepts out so that we can then continue to work together to we formulate maybe an idea and hopefully it will be beneficial. So are you ready? Okay, so. Let's do this, because I think this is the best way to do this. We have to acknowledge that there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Protestant groups. There is disagreement on exactly the number, which is hilarious. We can't even agree on exactly how many groups there are, but there are thousands of groups, and there's disagreements are dramatic. People, I mean, within Christianity, people have absolutely like, it's not even the same. I'll give you an example today. Someone was asking some questions in regards to to basically things related to Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism, um, Arminianism, a lot of things. And some of the ideas that they presented well, to me, that's not, that's not, that's not my Christianity. I don't know what that is. What they, the ideas they presented was absolutely foreign and alien to the Christianity I hold to. In other words, you can't say that we're, that they're, those are both accurate or those are both valid forms of Christianity because it was completely two different views of Christianity, two different views of salvation, of depravity, of man's nature, of ever. I mean, like not even like two completely separate different religions. And that's how crazy it can be that within Christianity, someone can present their view of Christianity. And you're like, well, if that's, if that's Christianity, then I'm not a Christian because I don't hold to that. And if what I hold to is Christianity, well, that can't be Christianity because it's directly opposite to what I hold to. 
that that is it's just amazing how radically and conflict Christians can be over major issues. And now we always try to play that down and go, no, 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 no. But I mean, today's discussion that I had with someone was just another reminder. It's like, I don't know what that is. That's not my Christianity. It's, it's we, we, we have, we hold to a completely different religion, a completely different faith, completely different theology, a completely different doctrine. It's not the same thing. And you're like, how is that humanly possible that that can occur within Christianity? But it's the, it's the reality. We don't agree on anything. So the reality is there is massive disagreement. No matter how much you want to play it down and no matter how much you want to cover it up and paint over it, there is massive disagreement. Yet at the same time, while that reality exists, We have these words found in John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. The words of Jesus. Jesus says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them that which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. We have these complete, we have this reality of complete disagreement and disunity within the body of Christ. That's a fact. At the same time, we have the eternal son of God pray that we would be one. How do we reconcile these two very conflicting, contradictory realities? Well, We've seen so far very poor attempts in trying to answer this, trying to deal with it in any meaningful way, and people try to create some kind of unity that really doesn't amount to anything. So let's just ask the text a couple of questions. First, I think it absolutely seems clear that in John 17, 21, the unity that Jesus is praying for is a unity that should be so visible That should be so manifest that the world will believe because of the unity they see. Let me read it to you again. John 17, 21, that Jesus is praying that they all may be one as thou father art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Let them be one so that the world may believe. Somehow the unity is to lead to the world's belief in the fact that Jesus was sent by the Father. Like, I don't know how we get around this. Look at John 17, verse 21. Let me read it in a different translation. I um, um, uh, see here, John chapter 17, verse 20. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they, may they be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Somehow it appears that the unity should lead to the world's belief. That means the unity should be manifest. The unity should be seen. All right. So let's write down. Let's just write down a couple of things. Number one, the unity should lead Others to believe. That's a very important concept. The unity should lead others to believe. That is a, I don't know how we get around that. Because on one hand, we want to say, yes, the unity is so important. The unity is critical. The unity should lead people to believe. But then we turn around and then try to say that the unity exists in a way that nobody actually sees. So, no, if you're going to say the unity should lead people to believe, then that means people should see and witness and understand. The unity would have to be made manifest in some meaningful way, and clearly it isn't. Number two, look at this. Back to John uh, chapter, uh, John chapter 17, back to John chapter 17, verse 21. Jesus is praying that they all may be one as thou father art in me 
and I in thee. The unity, unity of believers is likened to the unity between the Father, between, I'm going to say, between God the Father, God the Father, and Jesus, or in God the Son. I'm going to put God the Son. There we go. I think that's important. All right, so the unity between believers is likened unto the unity between the Father and the Son, between God the Father and God the Son. That somehow there is a there is a correlation, and we can't just overlook that or ignore that. So number one, the unity should lead to people to believe. And number two, the unity between the Father and the Son, the unity of the uh, amongst believers is likened unto the unity between the Father and the Son, between God the Father and God the Son, between God the Father and Jesus Christ. So we ha- that that gives us at least some clue, some idea, or in theory it should. So let's do this. Let's go to John chapter seventeen, and let's go all the way back to verse one. Now this is what we're going to look for. Starting in John 17, we're going to go from verse 1 to verse 21. We're going to look for anything in John 17, 1 through 21, that indicates something of of the unity between the Father and the Son. I'm not saying we're going to find anything, but that's, that's the whole key. The key is, what does this unity look like amongst believers? Well, it looks like the unity between the Father and the Son. All right, how do we understand that unity versus what it looks like for us? So we need maybe some kind of clues. Maybe we see, need some kind of indicator. Do we have any indicator in John 17, verse 1 to verse 19 or verse, or verse 20? Do we have anything that gives us any kind of a hint. Let's see if we can find anything, all right? Let's start in John chapter 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. All right, so you got Jesus praying to the Father And he's praying to the Father that the Father would glorify him, right? Glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify you. I'm going to at least throw down the possible idea. I'm going to go with a possible idea. I'm going to go with a possible idea. Unified in purpose... Unified in purpose? How about unified in priority? They have the same purpose. They have the same priority. The priority is glory, right? The glory, the father being glorified, the son being glorified, right? Is that, is that a same purpose? Is that a same priority? Let's see if, uh, if we can continue seeing that kind of concept. So let's, let's read it to, uh, let's read it again. John chapter 17, verse one, these words spake Jesus and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, father, the hour is come glorify thy son that the son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Now, I, this seems, does this not seem to continue with the idea of the same purpose, right? Hey, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So the father has given some to the son and the son is going to give those whom the father gave him eternal life. They seem to be united in purpose and in priority. Verse three. And this is the life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gave, gavest me to do. Now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. 
All right, they seem to be, there seems to be a unity in purpose and in priority. The same priorities, the same purposes. I, I, I think maybe we can see that. Let, let's see, let's go down to verse six. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they had known, now they had known all things whatsoever thou hast given me, uh, given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came out from thee, that they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Again, it's the same, it's the same priority, it's the same purpose. Same priority, same purpose. Same priority, same purpose, same, it's just stated in different ways. The same glory, the same ministering to those the father gave to the son, the son ministers to them. The work that the father gives the son to do, he, it's the same priority and it's the same purpose, just stated in many different ways. Verse 10, all, all and all mine are thine and thine are mine and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more, and now I am no more in the world, but they are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Now, the one there seems to, has to be connected to purpose and priority. It, it seems it has to be describing purpose and priority. That, that the unity here seems to be in the, the same purpose, same priority, same, same goal, same focus. It has to be. Um, they go on to say, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Now come I to thee. Uh, and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word and the word which the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou should keep them from the evil. They, uh, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And as for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through the truth. All right. So I, I think I like this idea that uh, I have given them thy word and the word I have and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. All right. So there, there seems to be a unity between the father and the son and purpose and priority united in the word. Jesus, Jesus speaks the words of the father, the words. In fact, look, look again, look at that. I think it's very important how it's worded. Please note, I have given them thy word and the world hated you. I, Jesus, the, the father gives the word, Jesus then gives that word to the disciples. It's the same word. So they have to be, if, if Jesus and the son, Jesus and the father are united in the same word. So they're united in the same purpose. They're united in the same priority. They're united in the same word. That, that, that makes sense. Um, uh, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. All right, let's, uh, can we say, how can we do this? How can we do this? So the father and the son are united in purpose. They're united in priority and they're united in the same word. Um, the father and son, see, how can we do this? Are united in their relationship to the world. 
I think that has to make sense, right? Because look what Jesus, look what, let me go back through this again. All right. We're going to, I'm going to continue to take this apart because this is, this has to be the key to this whole problem, right? Somehow the unity between the father and the son is like, that, that's the, that's the unity that we're supposed to have as believers. So we have to, we have to spend more time trying to take this apart. And this is what discover the word completely ignored this. The, the sermon we reviewed on John 17, 20, they didn't even bother to even try to address this. So I'm, I'm going to go through this again. So, so here we go. I'm going to go back to, um, I'm going to go back to, uh, chapter or chapter 17, verse 11. Here we go. And now I am no more in the world, but they are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, that those things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them thy word, and the world hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world." So the disciples are not of the world as Jesus is not of the world. And if Jesus is not of the world, then the father is not of the world. In other words, the father and the son, they have the same, they're unified and their relationship to the world. They're not of the world. The world is that which is fleshly and the son and the father, there's something unique or distinct or different from them than the world. And as we are in Christ, we're not of the world, just as the father, just as the son is not of the world. So we have to say that the father and son are united in their relationship with the world. They're different from the world that, 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 I mean, Jesus says, uh, I, uh, I look at his exact words are, let me go back through this again. Um, verse 13, and now I come to thee, uh, and these things I speak in the world, that they may they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Jesus acknowledges, I am not of the world, that he has to be united with the Father in that. So there is a, the father and son are united in their relationship to the world. They have, they maintain the same relationship to the world. They are separate and other than the world. Right? Verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Jesus says it again in verse 16. Then verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thou hast sent me into the world. Even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sake, I, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified through the truth. So they are united in, the father and son are united in purpose and in priority. Now that purpose is, you could talk about glory. You could talk about lots of different things. Priority, the same, the same priority. United in the word, right? Hey, the, the father gives the word to the son. The son gives the word to the disciples. So the father and son are united in the word. They're united in their relationship with the world. Jesus is not of the world. Obviously, the father was, would not be of the world. So they're united there. They are united in... What else are they united in? United in truth. I'm going to say united in truth, right? Because Jesus uh, says that they are uh, sanctify them through the truth. Thy word is truth. They're, they're, uni they're united in word. They're united in truth. And then united in, well, we, how can we say this? United in righteousness. United in righteousness in the sense that Jesus says, look what he says in John 17. Um, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself that uh, they also might be sanctified through truth. Jesus is, is united to the Father in the pursuit of, well, sanctification, being set apart from sin, being righteous, being holy. So the Father and Son are united. Jesus and the Father 
are united in the same purpose, in the same priority. They're united in the same word. They're united in the same uh, relationship with the world. They are united in truth and they are united in righteousness. That's a, that's a very practical un, union. That's a very practical unity between the Father and the Son. Now, we know one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we know that we could talk about the, the oneness in that way, shape, or form. But the unity here seems to be a unity in very specific ways. Same purpose, same priority, same truth, same word, same idea of righteousness, same relationship to the world. That's the unity between the Father and Son. And our unity has to be likened unto that. It has to be. Anything else doesn't make any sense because, I mean, that's exactly what's said. That kind of unity would then be made manifest. It would have to be seen in some meaningful way. Let's see what the the, uh, commentaries do with this. Let's see what the commentaries do with this. I know this is not a a definitive answer, but the answer has to be found somewhere, right? It has to be found somewhere right here. All right, so... uh, well, I'll just start with commentary number one, that they all may be one, both these, the apostles, and them also which shall believe on me through their word, the whole body of believers and all times and places. He expresses in this grand thought of the unity of the whole church, the fullness of the purpose of his prayer. All right, well, that, that's great that you're going to say that it's the whole church that must be unified. Again, we, we don't see that. So let's see what else they go, go on to say. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Um, they go on to see, do, do they offer anything here? Uh, they say the, the, the way this should be read is that they all may be one, as thou, Father, in me, and I in thee, that they also may be in us. And the meaning is that the union of the church may be of the same essential nature as that between the Father and the Son. Yea, that the union of the church may result from the union of individual members with the Father through the Son. The Father in the Son and the Son in the Father, both Father and Son taking up their abode in the believer and the believer therefore in the Father and the Son. This is the ideal of the unity of of the church of Christ. And if this union with God is realized by each individual, it necessarily follows that the individuals will be one with each other. Okay, well, that's of absolutely no help. Well, the father and son, they're, see, they're, they're in one another. And so we're in Christ. So therefore, see, so therefore we should be one. But I, 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 that, that's just some theoretical concept that doesn't amount to anything. It doesn't mean anything. So, I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, so therefore, guess what? We, uh, so uh, the ideal of the unity of the church of Christ is that the union with God is realized by each individual as necessary follows that the individuals will be one with each other. Well, if it's supposed to be that we're going to become one with each other, it's never happened in 2,000 years of church history. So what does the... It, 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 I love these commentaries that just make these assertions and don't bother to go, but it it's not working that way. Um, then they said the, the, uh, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The result of the union of believers with God and therefore with each other will be that the world will see in it a proof of the divine origin of Christianity. Well, if the union of believers is supposed to be proof of the divine origin of Christianity, well, then we've never given the world that proof because we're never unified in any meaningful way. So that this doesn't help at all. Let's go to a different commentary. Uh, okay, uh, let's see here. Yeah, so they don't, they don't offer, this one doesn't offer anything, okay? Um, that they may be one. This is the purpose rather than the purport of the prayer. Christ prays for blessing for his church, which in the end in view, they all may be one. 
or even as the unity of the believer is like the unity of the father with the son, not merely a moral unity of dip, uh, of disposition and purpose, but a vital unity in which the members share a life of one and the same organism. A mere agreement and opinion and aim would not convince the world. So they're saying that this union must be a vital unity. Okay, how, how, what, what does that mean? They, they still, they still don't offer us any insight at, at, at all. They don't even come, they don't even try to answer these problems. Um, okay, so that doesn't offer any help. Okay, um, okay, here's, here's another commentary. All may be one, may be united as brethren. Christians are all redeemed by the same blood and are going to ha- going to the same heaven. They have the same wants, the same enemies, the same joys. Though they are divided into different denominations, yet they will meet at least in the same ho- homes of glory. Hence, they should feel that they belong to the same family and are children of the same God and Father. There are no ties so tender as those which bind us in the gospel. There is no friendship so pure and enduring as that which results from having the same attachment to the Lord Jesus. Hence, Christians in the New Testament are represented as being indissolubly united, parts of the same body and members of the same family. Again, they they just say, we're so unified. We're so unified. But it offers no explanation. I, I don't. I, I I don't know what what like what is, what are they even talking about? So there's so so just so we have the same wants. Christians don't have the same wants. That's just not true. They have the same enemies. That's not true. The same joys. That's not true. We're, we're divided into different denominations. Yet we're, we're we meet at last in the same homes of glory. What? They, we feel that we, we, we should feel that they belong to the same family and are children of the same God and Father. There are no ties so tender as those which bind us in the gospel. There is no friendship so pure and enduring as that which results from having the same attachment to the Lord Jesus. I don't know what any of the, that. These commentaries drive me crazy. They just use this. They, they just use as the flowery. They, they use flowery language to try to give this idea that we have some some great unity, but it doesn't ever manifest anything like that. Christians don't agree on anything. We don't have the same wants. We don't have the same joy. We don't have the same anything. In fact, in many cases, I think we have actually different religions. But they're like, hey, even though we have different denominations, just know that, man, that union between Christians is so strong, it cannot be dissolved. It cannot be taken apart. It cannot be separated. It is it is a bond thicker than anything you've ever experienced. And that's just a lie. That is just not true in any meaningful way. Man, I, what I, I I know. You've got to convince yourself of something that's not true. That's that's not any help at all. That that's not any help at all. Um, okay, so that doesn't offer anything. Let's see. Um. Let's see the. Uh, so this is what they go on to another commentary. I'm just I'm just trying to go through as many of these as possible. Uh, that they may all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they may be one in us. The indwelling spirit of the Father and the Son is the one perfect bond of union, knitting up into a living unity. First of all, believers, first all believers, I mean, I'm trying to read this the way it's written. First, all believers amongst themselves, next the unity into one still higher with the Father and the Son. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> okay, that one is useless. Uh, let's see here. They offer any. They, okay, this one doesn't offer any concepts. 
None, none of these commentaries offer, they don't even try to answer the issue. They don't even try. It, it says, my prayer is that they may, this is the pulpit commentary. My prayer is that they may become one, form one living glorious unity, every part of which spiritual organism while living in separate and different lives, a part of a whole. And the natural fear as the parts of a whole organism are mere and uh, are mere and more developed and increasingly resemble individualities and their separation. They are in the same proportion dependent on the whole for the life that is in them. Even in a highly organized community, as the separate individuals have more and more personal conscience, consciousness of special function, they become the more dependent on the whole and in one sense lost in the unity which they belong. The branches and the vine form together one vine. The members of a body being many are one body and members of one another. It is open discussion whether the clause here follows, characterizes the above statement. Well, okay. So they they don't really have a good answer either. None of these commentaries offer anything. They, I, I, I hope you feel the same frustration I'm feeling. I hope you're like, well, that doesn't really say anything. I know you can sit there and read all of these commentaries and they're like, they use lots of great words, right? Oh, the same organism and the same life force and, and we're all connected and the bond is greater than anything you've ever experienced. And we have the same love and it's amazing. Now, yes, we, we live different lives and yes, we have different denominations and yes, we have completely contradictory beliefs and yes, we, we fight about everything. But oh, that bond between Christians, it's the greatest thing you've ever encountered. Yeah, they'll lie, stab you in the back, gossip, slander, hurt you, walk away from you. But hey, 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 it's the greatest thing. What are you talking about? This is absolutely a waste of time. That's what this is. Reading all of these commentaries is an absolute waste of time. They they throw out some like, they just use some poetic language to say, see how wonderful the unity is? See how wonderful it is? Now don't actually look. Don't look. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't look. Don't look. Keep looking at me. Keep looking at me. All right. Look straight into my eyes. The unity is beautiful. The unity is strong. The unity is wonderful. The unity is great. No, 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 no. Don't, don't look. Don't look. Don't look. Keep, keep looking at me. Keep telling yourself the unity is great. The unity is wonderful. The unity. Now, yeah, everything's burning to the ground and there's no unity at all. But, 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 but just, just keep pretending. Just keep telling yourself. I want to just throw my iPad across the room. I want to just throw it across. You can read all the commentaries for yourself. Just go go to Google, type in John 1721, look for the entry for BibleHub.com, and just look at all the commentaries. Now, I I wasn't able to read every single word, but I I, I tried to read through some of that as quickly as I could, only just to try to help you see and and feel the same frustration I was feeling trying to read it. It was absolutely just... I was getting frustrated just trying to read it. I was just, what in the world? So let's go back to what we came up with. If we go back to John 17. Oh, man. This, oh, this is so. Hmm. See, sometimes I hate myself because most would not allow themselves to get this frustrated with it. Most would just be, well, okay, yeah. So, so yeah, we're, we're unified. We're good. And, and, and somehow convince them. I don't, I don't know how Christians, I don't know how Christians do that. How can you convince yourself of something that's just not a reality? It's not true. Okay. It's not true. There is no unity. Zero. None. There's none. Okay. There's none. To say there is, is just ridiculous. There's no unity. So what do we do here? Well, The unity that we are to have 
has to be correlated, has to be connected in some way to the union, the unity between the Father and the Son. Now, it can't be that ultimate unity, right? One God, three distinct persons. It, it, It can't be the same essential unity in that way, but it's likened unto it. In some way. So what do we see? We, Jesus and the Father, the Father and the Son are clearly unified in purpose. They're clearly unified in priority, what the priority is. They're clearly united in the word. They are clearly united in their relationship with the world. They are clearly united in truth and they are clearly united in righteousness. That's a fact. We could argue well, there's probably one more we could argue, but I won't, I won't go there. So here's what I'm going to say. The unity of believers. There is a spiritual unity in this sense. If you're a believer and I'm a believer then we are one in Christ. We are one. We are united in Christ. In other words, we have the same identity. You are in Christ. I am in Christ. As the Father is in the Son, the Son, that that, that unity between them, we are one in Christ. So if we are Christians, we are one in Christ. That's our spiritual positional unity. That is true. Nothing can change that. All right? We are unified in relationship because if you're in Christ and I'm in Christ, then we're brother and sister. We, 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 are, we are a part of the family of God. So we are one in our identity. We are one in our relationship. Now, this is, this, this is a positional truth. This is a, the world does not see this in any way, shape, or form. The world does not see this. The world does not see it. So immediately we know that this unity has to go beyond just the spiritual reality that if you're in Christ and I'm in Christ, we have the same identity. We're both in Christ. We have the same relationship because now we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. So we have a, we have a family connection, right? So that is true, but that's all true of our position. Now in practice, clearly this still doesn't made, manifest itself. So we have, a, so think of it this way. We have a positional We have a positional unity that is simply based off salvation. There's a positional unity that is based off salvation, based off our faith. That has nothing to do with anything, has nothing to do with our belief, has has nothing to do with anything. Now, that positional unity must be sought to our, our We must attempt to live out the positional unity in practical ways, all right? So positional unity, practical unity. The practical unity must be lived out in two spheres. Practical unity must be lived out congregationally, congregationally and individually. Now, what do I mean by that? This is not calling for how it's going to work in the body of Christ at large because there's no solution there. But within each local congregation, the the positional unity must seek to be lived out in the congregation. Now, how does this work? In each congregation, we should have, each congregation should be a group of individuals united, the same purpose, the same priority, united in the same word, united in the same relationship to the world, united in the same truth, united in the same righteousness. The, the, those connections between the father and son, that's, that, that is being demonstrated in a practical way in John 17. Jesus mentions the practical ways where this is demonstrated. Hey, glorify me so that I can glorify you. The same purpose, the same priority. Hey, the ones you gave to me, I did not lose. The ones you gave to me, I gave eternal life. We have the same priority. The words you gave to me is the word I give to them. 
right? The, 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 the uh, they're not of the world. I'm not of the world because we're not of the world. It's that, that, that spiritual reality is being seen in practical ways. So within each local congregation, each individual congregation, not the body of Christ at large, because there's no way to ever pull this off. That, that's all broken and destroyed, especially since the Protestant Reformation. But within each local church, within each local congregation, it's a group of individuals who have placed their faith in Christ. So therefore, positionally, they have the same identity and they have the same relationship. In other words, they have a, f- a family relationship. Now, in practice within the congregation, we should be united in purpose. We should be united in priority. We should be united in the word. We should be united in our relationship with the world. We should be united in truth, and we should be united in righteousness. Then in the individual life, in the life of the individual believer, every believer you come in contact with, right, you should seek Unity in purpose, unity in priority, unity in the word, unity in relationship with the world, unity in truth, unity in righteousness. Now, the problem is you start talking to Christians for about 3.2 seconds and you'll find out you're not united in purpose. You're not united in priority. You're not united in, in the word. You're not united in the relationship with the world. You're not united in truth. You're not united in righteousness. It's only going to take about 3.2 seconds to figure Just get two Christians together to start talking. You're like, okay, well, I have no idea what you believe, but that's not my Christianity. So I don't even know if we're Christians. I, I mean, I mean, again, I, I can just, I could just point to the conversation I had today. I'm like, wait, we no, no. I believe people are born sinners. You believe people are born innocent. That's, that's not Chris, that's not the same Christianity. That's a completely different religion, right? You, you believe everyone's elect. No, I don't know that that's universalism. That's a different religion. We don't even believe in the same religion. We don't even believe in the same Christianity. We don't even believe in the same gospel. We don't even believe in the same understanding of sin. We don't believe in anything the same. So what is that? That's the reality. Now, the reality is we, we have completely, com- like when a charismatic, someone who's a member of an Assemblies of God church believes that by what Jesus did on the cross, physical healing is guaranteed to everyone on this earth. I'm sorry. We don't believe in the same Christianity. We don't believe in the same Jesus. We don't believe in the same anything. If you believe God is talking to you and I don't, we don't believe in the same Christianity. Now, people like to, to minimize those things. Well, no, 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 no. We just, we just see things a little different. You, you can, look, you can only see things so different to, until up to a point, and then your differences become different religions. <laughs> they become completely different faith claims. You can't have completely opposite faith claims and somehow believe you're both part of the same faith. Now, we claim this, and I'm like, that's not what we claim. We don't have the same, it's not the same faith. It's not the same Christianity. It's completely opposing religious beliefs. At some point, and, and you say, well, then what, what's the solution? The solution is, I don't know. <laughs> there isn't any solution. The solution is within each local congregation, there should be unity, that our, our, our practical unity within a congregation should flow from our positional unity. Now, that, and now we should seek that unity within each local church. Now, outside of the local church, every believer I come in contact with, we should strive to have the same purpose, the same priority, the same, uh, the same word. We should have the same relationship with the world. We should have the same truth and we should have the same righteousness pursuing that. But in reality, when it comes to the individuals, it's, 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 it's a, what can we, how could we describe it? It's highly unlikely that that's going to occur with most Christians you come in contact with. Oh, you can play that down and try to pretend all day. It's just, it's just, no, you just start talking to Christians and you're just like, wait, what? 
Now, I'm sorry. I don't know what. Okay, well, I mean, you're, you're free to believe that. I just, <laughs> we're not. Okay, we definitely could never go to the same church. Okay, we never, we, we could not, uh, we could not teach a Bible study together because we're in completely different faiths. I mean, it's completely like opposite. Now, I know Christians are like, no, 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 no. It's just, it's just a slight difference. You know, no. So I think, even though all the commentaries try to play this down and they, and they try to deny this, here's my solution. Now, I know that it took a while to get through all of that. And I know it was frustrating. It's this. I mean, wow. I mean, these commentaries, I'm just looking at the commentaries right now and I just want to start smashing my iPad into a million pieces because that's how frustrating I got trying to read them. So here's how it works. The unity between believers is supposed, is likened unto the unity between God the Father and God the Son. And when you go through John 17, you get at least some glimpse of the unity. The Father and the Son are united in purpose, priority, the word, the relationship with the world, truth, and in righteousness. And in the same way, believers, we should be united that way. Now, we're never going to be united that way as far as the entire body of Christ, because that's so broken and divided, it's never going to occur. So how, what, this is what we need to do. We have to understand as, as believers this. First, our unity is a positional unity. It's our, we have the same identity. We're in Christ. We have the same relationship. It's because we're in Christ. Now we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. All right. So we have a, a, a identity. We have a, a unity in identity and a unity in relationship. Okay. Now we could probably, we could probably flesh that out a little bit more, but that's our positional unity. That's our positional unity. That positional unity must be lived out in some meaningful, tangible way. It is to be done so in two spheres, two areas, the area of a local congregation, not some ecumenical, this church working with that church. No, within a local congregation where you have individuals who come together in a practical unity where they are unified in purpose, priority, the word, the relationship with the word, the world, uh, the relationship with truth, and the relationship with righteousness. There's a unity in those areas within a local congregation. Then outside of the local congregation, there's an individualistic aspect where we do meet other believers and we try to pursue unity in all of those areas. It's, it's going to always be very questionable and the normal relationship is, nope, we don't agree. 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 And my attitude now is I just don't care. I don't even care to argue anymore. Like, whatever, just believe whatever you want. Because I just realized how utterly futile the attempts are in trying to get people to believe the same doctrine and the same theology. It's just we don't agree on anything. We don't agree on how to interpret the Bible. We don't agree on how to read them. You can give people the same scripture and, the, and you can say, this scripture teaches this. And they come back and go, nope, those scriptures don't teach that. And you're like, okay, well... Okay, it's just, it's just pointless. It's just, it's a, it's an exercise in total futility. I hate that that's a reality, but it's just a reality. That's the only way I can understand this. That's the only way I can understand it. All right, we'll stop there. Now, now I'm nervous because the last comment I got and the chat was from uh, Twyla that just simply said, LOL. I don't know. That's a, that's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. When, you're, when your last comment is LOL in the chat, that's not good. That, that's bad. You, you, what you wanted to see by the time I finished that was like, oh, okay, that makes, ooh, that's pretty good. Okay, okay, I can work with that. I can work. But no, I didn't get that. The last I got was simply LOL. I don't know what that means. Probably, hopefully the LOL was there laughing at the commentaries or they were laughing at my attempting to read the commentaries, but I was getting frustrating and just trying to figure out what parts of these things to read because they weren't really saying anything other than just saying, we have such great unity with, with Christians. It cannot be dissolved. It cannot be divided. It's amazing. But yet they didn't bother to explain one time how that there's no actual 
tangible evidence of any of that. All right, we'll stop there. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. All right. Okay. I hope so. I, I hope so. Okay. Twyla said it was the commentaries. Okay. Now she still ended that with an LOL. So she still didn't go, whoa, by the time you got to the end, that was great. She's, she's refusing to say that she's refusing. She's like, nope, not going to go there because I don't think it was that good. I, I understand. I understand, but that's the best I can come up with because nothing else makes absolutely any sense. All right, we'll see. All right, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.